And so we have all these people out there who are turned off religion because it's too political or too commercial, too cheesy or too manipulative. Many of whom, when you sit down with them over a coffee, you find they actually believe in God in some sense. And the church attempts to squeeze itself into the mold of what it thinks are the expectations of the secular society, thereby actually becoming just what people are not looking for. Welcome to the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody Weekend Edition. We're in a study called Life is a Question Mark, and then you die, taking a look at the fascinating book of Ecclesiastes. Part two of our study called God is an Awesome God, looking specifically at Ecclesiastes chapter four through six. Josh Moody is senior pastor of College Church, located in Wheaton, Illinois. I'm Todd Bastide, your host. Josh, we're diving back in today. We're going to be hearing about secular worship, or what you refer to as under-the-sun worship. Now, we touched on this briefly last time. Can we get a refresher on what secular worship is? Yeah, I think this passage is indicating a common tendency whereby you go to church and you're going through the motions. You, you pick up, it's religious, it's referencing God, but there's not an encounter with God. And so much, Jesus faced the same, of course, with the Pharisees, very religious, not really encountering God. And this is pointed towards this authentic engagement with the awesome God. Let's get to it. Ecclesiastes, we'll do a quick review of the material from yesterday and then move into the new material for today. Here's Josh. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 through 6. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to read from chapter 5, 1 to 7, and that's going to be the focus this morning, those seven verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and I'll read to verse 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase... And words grow many. There is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. God is the one we must fear or stand in awe of. Awesome worship is the craving of many a church hopper these days or church shopper. Can't say I blame them. I don't know how you feel about that, but... Even for me, going to church services can sometimes feel about as exciting as watching paint dry. And so churches are reacting, some of them, by adopting the secularized advertising techniques or marketing feel or the moral or spiritual equivalent of a campaign or a gig or if you're really intellectual, a scintillating conference. 
Now, in his brutally honest exposure of the futility of modern secular life, Ecclesiastes has already touched on many themes, on many different issues. So he's talked, hasn't he, as we've looked at it together, about that Monday morning feeling, the sense that this rat race is going nowhere, that work is like playing a, a basketball game with no basketball hoops. It's, there's no goal, there's no end, no purpose to it. And so in this secular life, in this life where in ancient cosmology, God was thought in some way to reside sort of up there, rather than in the eternal presence of a different dimension of the spirit as, as we would today more commonly think. Under the sun, that phrase he uses again and again, is to imply what we would call the purely secular life. That is life without any consideration of any religious uh, or spiritual dimension at all. That life, he is saying, to put it as boldly as he does, we might say in modern language, it stinks. And so he's encouraging us instead to invest our time in eternity and in God, to wean us off life under the sun to life above the sun. And yet now we come this morning to a rather different tone and a different piece of writing. And he's teaching us something positive about what he wants us to be like rather than negatively what he wants us to see life is like without a spiritual encounter with God and so to encourage us then to seek such an encounter. And you see, particular here, he is warning what we would call the church or the religious community against acting in religion, in worship, in exactly the same way as in work under the sun. So it's thrust here, these seven verses, in the midst of three chapters of a context which is very like ours today, where there is a, a secular questioning about the meaning of life all around us, and then comes the question, well, how are we then to do church, you see, the house of God. Is it really possible to worship in a secular way? Oh, yes, Ecclesiastes says. In fact, that's the great danger in such a context as ours, surrounded by all these questionings about the existence of God and all the rest. So he says, first, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. How? First, by going to listen more than to speak. Now, this is really the most essential distinction he's going to make. It's foundational to it all, and it comes first in his list of warnings. Guard your steps, he says, verse 1, when you go to the house of God. How? Well, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. That is, that you yourself are going to make the worship experience happen. There's a lot of loose terminology about worship, isn't there, that betrays a secularization of our uh, Christian worship in our churches. You see, we do not and cannot do any kind of sacrifice that will lead people into the presence of God. God has already done that in Christ by his death on the cross for our sins. He has done all that is necessary. The sacrifice has been paid. 
So the grand mark or distinctive or characteristic of biblical as opposed to secular worship is this commitment to hearing what God has to say through his word. That's how you spot a biblical church. Biblical Christian worship does not merely revere the Bible ceremonially or theoretically. It listens to the Bible practically. Now behind all of this then, can you get the sense of it, is this, this concept of, of God as real and hear who God is. That's what really interweaves all the threads of this passage. Worship is not something we as humans do to God. <laughs> Worship is us receiving from God that then we might be changed to live for God in practice. We are receiving. Now we commit to worship him in practice during the week. So he says, don't, he's saying, don't just say it, do it. Therefore, be careful what you say. For God's going to expect all of us to follow through this week. For a dream he carries on comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. What's the point here? I think the point here is the fantasy or a fantasy of who God might be. Look at it like this. I think this is what he's referring to. You've, you've got a lot of worries. What then happens? Well, you go to sleep and you dream about them. It's a normal, natural human experience. We've all had that. In the same way, he's saying, I think, this jabbering anything to God is a basic fantasy of God as perhaps some kind of divine slot machine for whom we put the penny in impressive, pious diction. And then out comes the candy blessing. It's a fantasy about God at root, this wrong, under-the-sun, secularized worship. Specifics of what secularized worship is and how to avoid it coming up next. But first, a reminder that you're listening to The God-Centered Life with Josh Moody. It's the preaching ministry of Josh. He's the senior pastor of College Church located in Wheaton, Illinois. And by virtue of the generous donations of folks just like you, we're able to bring you these studies. Back into Ecclesiastes, here's Josh. So he says... Carrying on, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. Now, vows were a part of Old Testament worship. And Jesus, as you probably know, tells us not to swear in the sense of making vows by God's name and then not following through. He does not want us here these fake vows that sound impressive but don't actually do anything. And Paul made a vow in the New Testament and shaved his head. Uh, the point is that we shouldn't pretend. We shouldn't say we're going to do something and then not do it, as if the saying is what counts. I've said, I'll follow you, Jesus. Isn't that what you really want? He wants you actually to do it. So he writes, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Now, no one really knows who exactly this messenger was. Some think a temple messenger, others an angel or messenger sent by God in some way. The point is the same, however you interpret that particular word. He's saying, get the message, do it. Don't just say you're going to do it. So he carries on. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now again, 
When he writes like that, you get this, this view of God, which is quite different from our tamed, secularized view of him. He is awesome. Uh, so he carries on. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. This is the under the sun kind of church, the secularized church, the vanity of religion. When dreams increase, we're back to dreaming again. It's as if he's picturing that kind of worship service, which we've all been a part of at some point or other, where everyone goes through the motions and they, they say all the right kind of stuff and it's all very sound in a half kind of sing-song lull and everyone knows that no one really means it. And at least half the mind is on what the football score is or who's playing tonight or what we've got to do in the yard that afternoon. This kind of dreaming, he says, produces many meaningless words. Instead, stand in awe of God. But God is the one you must fear. Don't just say you're going to do it. Do it. Why? We serve an awesome God. Now, for some reason, you and I both know that religion has always been open to the meaningless verbosity of which Ecclesiastes warns. My namesake, D.L. Moody, um, uh, once said, some men's prayers need to be cut short at both ends and set on fire in the middle. (laughs) Occasionally, unintentional typos and bloopers betray a similar streak of church verbal dysentery. One church bulletin I saw announced triumphantly the improved health of its minister. God is good, it said. And then writing underneath, Dr. Hargreaves is better. (laughs) We're so like that, aren't we? Of course, God, I'll do anything. I'll give you the world, God, anything, anything, Go out on Wednesday evening to prayer meeting? Clean up the snow before church? Increase in generosity? That's not fair, God. It's too actual, too concrete, too real. God is not interested in theoretical devotion. He wants action. He wants us to do it, not just say we're going to do it. And so we have all these people out there who are turned off religion because it's too political or too commercial, too cheesy or too manipulative, many of whom, when you sit down with them over a coffee, and you find they actually believe in God in some sense. And the church attempts to squeeze itself into the mold of what it thinks are the expectations of the secular society, thereby actually becoming just what people are not looking for. To the politician, it becomes political. To the salesman, it becomes commercial. To the pizza delivery guy, it becomes cheesy. (laughs) All in an effort to reach out, when really to reach out, a commendable desire, of course, really to reach out, what is required is a renewed sense of who God is. Here, this morning, now. Stand in fear of God. 
Wouldn't that be the talk of the town if we left this morning with a little bit of shaking, saying to our neighbors, you know, that morning I met God. Would it not make a difference to our corporate worship experience if we really believe that actually we might, just might, right now encounter the living God? See, it's this sense of the presence of God which adds reality to any experience, whether professionally crafted or rudimentary, whether enjoyable or difficult. The Romanian pastor Richard Wormbrandt served many years in solitary confinement, and in his book, of that name, Sermons in Solitary Confinement, composed while in prison, uh, but written up afterwards, he said, after a night I danced for joy in my prison cell because I was aware of the presence of God. Wouldn't that attitude towards God, that sense of the presence of him, make all the difference? See, we're not talking about minor differences here. See, it all comes down to who we think God is. Is he an awesome God? Is he alive? Is he doing something today? Or is he merely a a mystification of our otherwise secular under the sun impulses? A communal gathering with a religious gloss, a projection of our father needs upon the numinous. So many of the troubles of the contemporary church, it seems to me, are due to its attempts to create an under-the-sun worship experience. People smell out this sort of marketing commodity, I think. They know today, people are so sophisticated, they know when they're being sold something. Politicians are selling them so that they'll vote for them. Salesmen are selling them so they'll buy their product. Preachers are selling them so they'll join their church. And so cynicism enters in, and it's hard to get anybody to believe anything these days. Or as Kenneth Clark in his book Civilization wrote, we can destroy ourselves by cynicism as much as by bombs. If God was here, what would he say? Well, the Christian need have no doubt about that. If you are a Christian, he would say, I love you. That is the great truth, and in some ways, the most scary truth of all. There was a student in the days of the Black Power Movement. He found his way through the identity challenge that, that clamor created, and there are many different identity challenges today. That student of the Black Power Movement had a poster on his wall which read, I'm black and I'm okay because God don't make junk. Hmm. When you know that God loves you, you no longer feel like junk. A group of teenagers had discovered that a boy among them was adopted and they were teasing him about it. After a while, he turned to them and said, all right, yes, of course, I am adopted. All I know is my parents chose me, but yours couldn't help having you. (laughs) Every Christian can say the same thing. God chose me. He has picked me out. 
and made me his, and he loves me. God would also say this, I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, John chapter 15, verse 16. We are to listen to what God has to say. We are to do, not just say we're going to do. Christianity is not a spectator sport. By listening, by making a commitment that you follow through, you are getting down and dirty on the field, in the huddle, and contributing to the next play. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a touchdown. Let's pray together. Let's have a moment of silence as we stand in awe of God. God is the one you must fear. He made everything. He knows everything. He is the Alpha and Omega. There's nothing we can hide from him. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows our name. He is here. The Lord is among us. He is everywhere, omnipresent. But when his people gather together and open up his word, the sword of the spirit, that is the word of God, Ephesians 6, 17, does its work. He is here and he is speaking through his word. Father, would you help us by your spirit to have listening hearts? Father, would you help us to hear the word of your love? In some ways the most scary truth of all, that the God of all gave his son the sacrifice would be paid that while we were still sinners Christ died for us Father help us to hear that word and to be changed by it Father I pray that we would go out knowing that this morning we met with God I pray this in Jesus name Amen That's Josh Moody, and this is the God-Centered Life. So, Josh, let me see if I've got this. On one level, reaching out to this group or that demographic seems like it would make gospel sense. Mm. But you're pointing out how that can be dangerous and it can redefine and reduce God to suit our goals. Is that right? Yeah, I suppose there's some nuance here, and context uh, can have different applications of the core principle here. But the point is that we want our worship to be around who God is rather than around who these people are. And that's the center of worship. And obviously, we need to use the right language, to use language that connects with people, use a form that connects with the people we're trying to reach. But we're not just passing up our worship in the shape 
of the people we're trying to reach. Our worship should be defined by who God is, what he says in his word, and therefore it's actually worship of him rather than a product that is marketed for people. Hmm. Excellent. Thanks for that clarification. We wanted to let you know that uh, God-Centered Life has past studies, the start of this study in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it's a great one. It's one of my favorites, and I hope you're going to take advantage of it. If you're just joining us, if you are, welcome. Uh, That website, GodCenteredLife.org. There's ways to connect with us. There's ways to partner and support this ministry, all happening at the website. That web address again, GodCenteredLife.org. Next time we get together, a better plan. It's certainly the case that strategic planning from very smart people can invigorate an economy or defend a city. But nonetheless, there's no telling when the next Wall Street crash or 9-11 will occur. More from this fascinating book of Ecclesiastes next time. GodCenteredLife.org resources for you. And this is your warm invitation to join us around God's Word right here at the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody Weekend Edition.